0: Brothers, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know why I'm always amazed at how loud I am, but I am that loud. Well, as it is always, it's such a joy to be here today, diving deeply into the Word of God together with you, my Pops Brothers. You know, brothers, this is, this is truly a gift, what, we, what we're given every week here on Thursday night. This, uh, this idea that every moment that we have on this side of the ground is a blessing that the Lord has given us. And it's a day for us to never forget what He has done and what He is doing in our lives. Amen? Amen. 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 I, I have a good friend. Some of you may know him, even uh, uh, they've been around Pittsburgh for a long time. A good friend of mine who last week was doing some work in his shed, and uh, his wife hadn't seen him for a few hours. And so she went out to find him. And turns out when she found him, he was in the shed with a bloody gash on his head and his skull cracked. And she, you know, is a nurse, and she was not sure what the heck happened. And she's like, oh, my gosh, David, what's wrong? What's wrong? And, and he couldn't respond. Like, he couldn't speak. His eyes were open, but he couldn't speak. And so she took him to the, to the hospital, and they put him right in the neuro ICU And all week long, I've been praying for him. And all week long, I've been thinking about, as I'm preparing this word, that there's no reason why it should be him and not me in that moment, right? There's so many dumb things that I've done in my life. So many times I've tried to lift something too heavy over my head, and yet nothing happened. And we still don't know what happened to David. He's still in the ICU, and we certainly, his brain is is swelling. They've drilled holes to reduce the pressure in there. And, And there's so many things that are going on. And not to start Pops tonight with something depressing, but to remind us. That every moment that we get, that we thank God with every breath, as we sang tonight. We just thank God that 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 lungs that He gives us, that we can praise Him with that. That every day that our heart beats and our lungs breathe and our brain does these complex calculations more than any supercomputer, that these are all gifts that God has given us that we should never, ever take for granted. And yes, it's cold tonight, and yes, there's a lot we could complain about, but praise God. That we have all had this ability to buy and wear coats and get Pops beanies, you know, tonight. If anybody wants a beanie but you didn't bring your ten bucks, I will cover your beanie tonight because it is cold. So please, grab your beanie if you need to. And yes, in this, in this world, we're right in the middle of, right, a few days from now, this election and so many things and so much divisiveness. But praise God that we live in a country where we have elections, right, in a country where we can gather like this today and praise him. And learn about him, and I can use both mics at the same time, the one he gave me and the one Chris handed over to me to proclaim his word loudly. Amen? Let's keep that in mind always. Let's pray. Lord God, I just praise you this night, Lord. I praise you for who you are. I praise you that in the midst of this Pittsburgh fall night, God, that you are, you are here, that you are whispering to us through the wind, Lord, that we hear you in the raindrops, O oh God, that, Lord, in the word that you've given us, the written word, Lord, that you would open that up to us tonight. That I could share with the brothers what you shared with me this week, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Well, since we kicked off pops back at the beginning uh, of this month in the, in Matthew, we've been looking at the, we've been leading up to the story of these demon possessed men. You know, Jesus had just rescued his disciples from the megas Remember that was the great earthquake of the storm on the water, and he showed him and showed them his power over the enemy's attacks, and just as quickly. As the enemy rises up to bring his attacks, God rises up and brings his calm. And all through the last several months, since God opened my eyes up to that reality, that's been my prayer. You know, every time I hear about a protest or a riot or a rally or something that shows our great divide, I say, Lord, rise up your calm. Or with every time a candidate says something negative about the other one, I say, Lord, Rise up, you're calm. And with every lockdown and shutdown and masking debate and how to handle the COVID and all the other stuff, I say, Lord, rise up, you're calm. Because, brothers, regardless of where any of us are personally in our viewpoints of any of these topics, we have the promise of a great calm only when we put our trust in Jesus. And it may not always come in our timing. But the great calm is coming. And while we wait, we've got a job to do each and every one of us have a job to do and i i feel like i get the greatest advice ever the greatest spiritual moments ever in my life have been reading children's books when my kids were little and there was one that they had and it was called the name of the title of this book was i've got a job to do and if you've got little ones you know that that are you know in that in that under 10 year old age range i would i would definitely suggest get that get that book i've got a job to do it's a, it's a wonderful book in this book there's this girl and all throughout the book She uh, is, is telling the reader that she's got a job to do and bad things keep happening and setbacks keep happening for her. But each page of that book ends with her saying, but I've still got a job to do. And whatever is going on in your world, be it anything that I've mentioned so far or maybe something even more personal to you, if you're alive and you're breathing today, you've still got a job to do that's greater than whatever it is that you're experiencing. We're getting the great storm tonight, the mega seismos, huh? Well, God is with us, amen? All right, so here's a Pops challenge for you guys to start off with. I want us to share the love of Jesus over these next several days before the election. Not our politics with everyone that we see, but just keep racking up treasures in heaven. We have to keep that perspective, right? The politics of this world are temporary. Only the love of God is eternal. And which one do we want to be spreading over the next days and weeks to come? So right after here, Jesus rescues them from the storm. We find out they finally get to the other side. And we talked about how all of us who follow Jesus are expected to follow him wherever he goes. Not because the grass is always greener on the other side, but because Jesus is always with us when we follow him. When we follow him, wherever he is, we are. And so we have nothing to fear. And Matthew eight twenty-eight to 29, it said, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O oh, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us? Before the time. You see, Matthew, he gives us a very much more abbreviated version of this account of the demon-possessed men. So we've been looking last time, we were looking at Mark and Luke at the same time in the same passage. And then the last time we saw that when we combine all these accounts together, we see just how chaotic the whole scene actually would have been. Let's look at Mark 5. It says... They came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains... He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, Well, what is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And we see very similar thing in Luke 8. I'm not going to reread all of that for you, but it's in your notes there. Very similar deeper dive into who these men were or who this man was that is eventually going to be saved by Jesus. And we remember that Jesus with his disciples, they're likely they're still recovering from that storm on the sea. Right, They just docked on the shore, and these naked, insane, demon-possessed men with the superhuman strength are all bruised and bleeding from this self-inflicted injury. And they're coming running out, and they recognize Jesus. And even though the disciples hadn't figured out yet who Jesus was, these demons knew who he was. And Jesus issues out the command for the demons to leave this men from the moment that he sees them. And the demons are crying out as if in pure fear. Because they immediately recognize who Jesus is. And this fear, it grips them. And if you want more details on that, like like we were talking about, listen to the podcast last time, I went into a lot more detail there, but James 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, and you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. You see, because the demons know who Jesus is, and they're afraid because they're thinking Jesus has come to bring their final end to their existence, you know, we talked about last week in Revelation 20, the end times and what's going to happen to the devil and all of his demons. It says they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, this is what they're afraid of. This is what they're crying out about. This is why the demons are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, no, we don't want you here yet. It's not the time yet. Because that's what they think is about to happen. And as we're going to see here tonight, there was a herd of pigs nearby who are also in the midst of all this commotion, probably squealing. And, you know, just like this prior storm on the sea and all the commotion in that boat, on this shore would have been this tremendous amount of commotion, of the spiritual battle between Jesus. And the dominion of the devil, but the great calm will soon arise. So let's look here, verse, verse, uh, Matthew 8, verse 30 to 32. It says, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. Mark says it this way, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Luke says, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. So when we read these accounts, and really any account that we read in the Bible, we have to remember to read it from a Jewish context, right? Because this Bible was not written to American Christians. It was written to the Jews originally. There's a lot of significance here that we'd miss if we don't understand the Jewish culture, that pigs were and still are unclean to the Jewish people. We see it in Leviticus 11, verses 7 through 8. God says to them, and the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean. So what this is telling me is that because there are pigs there, and Mark's going to tell us here in just a moment that there's 2,000 pigs there, that this region is a Gentile region, meaning non-Jewish region. Because there wouldn't be pigs around in Jewish countries. So this was a place that would be foreign to the Jews. And as we discussed last time, that meant that the entire area... Was an unclean area for a Jew because it was a Gentile area. And the cemetery setting and the naked men there, the demons, you know, all of it was to point out, in fact, to the Jewish readers, like, can you believe how unclean that place was? But we would miss that if we don't understand that. So this is a completely unclean area, 2,000 pigs in the near proximity, adding to the uncleanliness. So, I'm thinking about pigs as I was going through the week. Why? Because if many of you, you probably have met my wife, Katie, before. If you don't know her, your wife probably does. I mean, she's been so active in so many things in the kids' ministries at the church. And you may not know, though, that she actually grew up as a farm girl. Her grandfather, her father, they were both farmers in Illinois. And her older brother, until very recently, was a hog farmer in North Carolina for a long time. And when we first got married, I said to Katie, you know, we, I want to go see what a, what a hog farm is like. Let's go to North Carolina. We didn't have any kids. Why not? Right, get in the car and go. And for a suburban kid like me, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Has anyone ever seen a pig farm or a hog farm before? Yeah. It's it's different than you think. Like when you go to the store and you get the whatever, the brown and serve, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, you know, pigs are probably like, you know, a couple of them in a room and that makes a hundred hot, uh, hot dogs and sausages and everything else. But no, what I found there was these massive buildings holding hundreds if not thousands of hogs and these huge fans from the top to the back that are blowing out the air to get the, the smell out and I'm sure whatever else was in there. And it didn't work really well. I mean, you could certainly smell what was going on in there. But one thing that struck me that I didn't know about pigs is that they're actually pretty smart. You know, like when I come home from work, I get up the stairs my dog's always waiting right there, and she's all excited and tail wagging or whatever, because I finally came home. Master's home, and she's so excited, right? And these hogs, as soon as we entered into the, to the pen, uh, they all start squealing, and they're excited because, you know, maybe it's feeding time. You know, they have no idea that one day that visit won't be so good for them. But, you know, my brother-in-law, you know, was telling me just how intelligent they were. And, I, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the way I can skew to my wife why I want to eat more bacon, because if the pig is so smart, then perhaps as I eat it, you know, my intelligence would rise as well. But that never flies too well. She tries to be too healthy. Anyhow, this whole experience, it gave me this totally different perspective on on, on this whole scene when I think about the 2,000 pigs nearby. The sound and the smell of it comes to mind and, and how uncomfortable their presence would have been for these Jewish followers of Jesus. So this legion of demons inside this man, they request Jesus... That if they're going to be exercised from these men, please send us into these pigs nearby. And the question that's so obvious is, why? Like, why the heck do these demons want to jump into a whole bunch of pigs? Like, what? I don't get it. And every commentary I read on this is like, yeah, nobody really knows. Uh, well, well but here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a thought, here's a thought, here's a thought. But nobody really knows. And seriously, I'm thinking i got to find out when I get to heaven. There's so many questions on my list of things I want to ask Jesus or Paul or Peter. I want to find out, like, what were you thinking? Like, why did you say that? Or what did that mean? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to get there, and probably the, the aura, the magnificence of Jesus, I'm going to forget everything, right? But there are, this is one of those questions. Like, why? So one of the more common ones that I read was that demons needed a place residents like always they need a place to exist like a virus you know if you put a virus on a on the floor it like lasts for a few hours and then it's gone right it's not going to be able to live thrive multiply unless it's inside of a person and a a demon in the same way needs to be inside something alive in order to thrive and survive and to grow they need to be infecting a host so they recognize this noisy large number of pigs nearby they recognize that there's six thousand of them Inside these guys, so they need a lot of place to go, and I'm betting just like in grade school, they started counting off, right? Like you know, remember when you like one, two, three? Okay, one, two, three. And they, they got to put two thousand in, in uh, you know, three into each one of those two thousand pigs. I bet you they were counting off. I bet you there was a joker in there amongst the demons that said four. You know, like like this is the things I'm thinking about as I'm going through this week. But three, they all go off into these pigs. All six thousand of them go into these two thousand pigs. But I love how all three accounts say that Jesus gave them permission to do so. And you might think that Matthew doesn't say that, but I'll give you that in just a second. All three accounts we're going to find by the end of tonight actually show that Jesus gives them permission to go. Just think about that for a moment, that power, right? Like imagine, you're a military commander and you're standing up against 6,000 enemies, just you. And they're waiting and listening and begging you for permission to leave. That's what this scene is like. Jesus standing up in front of 6,000 of his enemies and he says, you have permission to go. That's power. And it says in Matthew 8.32, it says, and he said to them, go, in the Matthew version. But, but with that one word, go, these demons who have tormented these men probably for years, go. You see, Jesus, I think about him always. He's our crucified Messiah, right? He laid down his life for us. There's, there's that power that he shows us through self-sacrifice on the cross. It's something that I wish all of us as, be, as believers could learn to do, and that's a whole nother sermon in itself. But the true power of God is shown in apparent weakness, but then at the same time in the Gospels, we get these moments too, where I just, I just love it. I just love to think about, you know, Jesus will do anything to rescue us from the sin in our lives anything the demons that exist within us we were talking about last time how how that manifests itself through sin that we do he will do anything to rescue us from that sometimes with just a word sometimes with just a touch but he will do anything to rescue us and so I ask you guys tonight you know what sin have you been dealing with that you think is just too much a part of who you are right it's too much a part of your life you've been doing it for so long There's no way. you know. Maybe does your mouth, does it have a tendency to say things that it shouldn't? Or does your anger, does it get so out of control that you lash out even at the people that you love? Does your pride, does your pride make you react whenever someone says something that you disagree with or puts something on social media that you think is untrue? Does it give you this anger inside of you? Or is there a website that keeps calling you? To see things that you know that your eyes should not see. Whatever the sin is for you, brothers, hear Jesus saying this. Go. He's saying it to the sin within you. Go. Because he doesn't want that in you. And not just go, but the word in in the Greek is hupago. Hupago. And it's a powerful word in itself. But to fully understand this word hupago, we have to actually look back earlier in the chapter in the account of the Roman centurion. So let's go back to Matthew 8. And this is really cool. Let me show you guys this. So it says, But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And remember, this is when the Roman centurion is trying to show Jesus how much he, the centurion, understood power. That when he, the centurion, tells his soldiers to do something, they do it. He's trying to show that power that he's got. And recall, he was trying to show Jesus that he understood spiritual power in the same way. He's saying, Jesus, if I have this power over this like, man army, how much power do you have over your spiritual army? Because he had faith that, that, that if he, the centurion, says, come, go, do, these guys would have to do it. But here's something I didn't notice when we did this section before uh, in last year, when the, when the Roman centurion tells the soldiers to go, that word is pour you, me, pour you am I, I'm sorry, pour you am I." And this word, pour you am I" is translated as go, but it's different than the word hupago that Jesus is about to say. So pour you am I" means you give someone a destination and they go there. So you say, hey, go to Cranberry. And somebody goes to Cranberry. Like you've, given, you've told them a destination and then they leave on their own to go get there. But notice now in Matthew 8.13, Jesus was going to reply to the centurion. He says, and to the centurion, Jesus says, hupago, go, hupago, Let it be done for you as you have believed. And that servant was healed at that very moment. And what hupago means, is to, it means to lead someone away under authority. Like to a spe- specific mission or objective, not just to get to a destination like poor you and I would mean, but an authoritative saying, "You can go because I'm telling you that you can go. It has this authority behind it. It's like you know my teenagers, I've got three teenage girls now, and they always try to tell me where I'm going. you know They say, "Dad, I'm going to my friend's house on Friday and you're taking me." <laughs> At which point I say, "hmm. You know, I give them the look, right? This look like, yeah, no, that's a poor you am I go. You're expecting me to, you give me a destination and I'm going there. That's not how it's going to work. So, Or they might say, Dad, may I go to my friend's house on Friday and would you take me? And then I give them the authority. Yes, you may go. That would be hupa go. Okay, so with your authority, with my authority, you may go. That is hupa go. So no matter what authority, Jesus is showing the centurion, No matter what authority you think you have, when you tell your soldiers to go, it's not like when I tell my soldiers to go. When I tell my soldiers to go, Jesus is saying, they go under my authority. And the same way that his soldiers go, the sickness of that son of that centurion would go, because by authority Jesus is going to say, go to that demon within that son that was killing him at that time. So let's come back now to Matthew 8.32. Jesus is talking to the demon-possessed men, and he says to them, go, hoopa go. And Jesus is telling the demons that now they have his permission to go. Under his power, under his authority, they are allowed to go as they requested. It's such a cool twist on a word that I never knew before. And then the section just gets super crazy, right? 832 continues, it says, so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold... The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Mark says it this way. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Luke says, Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So 2,000 pigs all at once got infected with the demon virus. And we think COVID, whatever. The demon virus these guys got, okay? And they immediately get the demon virus, and they go running down that hill. And at the bottom of the hill is not a road, but water. And they go right in, and they drown. And it's so strange. And it brings up a ton of questions. You're like me, like, I can't read that now and just be like, oh, cool. Like, I have to look, because you guys are going to ask me, what the heck does that mean? And so I've got to look into it. So I look into it. What does Jesus have against pigs? Like, why does he allow this, okay, is the first question. So we won't know for sure, like I said, why the demons requested it or why Jesus allowed it until one day we get to ask him face to face for sure. It could be as simple as what we said. They needed somewhere to go. Like a virus, like we're talking about, needs to be inside something living in order to stay alive. But why didn't Jesus just destroy them and remove all of these demons from existence like that? Just get rid of them. And I think the answer to that is because the time that these demons were talking about, the time that we're looking at in Revelation, had not yet come for the end of the devil and his minions. That time is coming, but they back then and we right now are not there yet. We're in the waiting for all of this to be done. So there's thousands of pigs, thousands of demons, so they go there. But why do the demons make the pigs do this deep dive into the water? Like How does that help them at all? They want to be inside something living. Why not just hang out in the pigs for a little while, you know, and, and, and live their life happy as, as pig viruses? Why would they kill all of these pigs? And again, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But one thing that we do know, without a doubt, is that the devil and the demonic have just one plan for us, and it's pretty simple. They come to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. They don't know any better than that. They don't know this idea of coexistence with man or whatever. They only know, how do I take this life that I have inhabited and steal from it, kill it, and destroy it? That's all they know. So they jump into these pigs and they do what they're going to do. And pigs, while they might be intelligent, are not intelligent enough to call out to Jesus. And so therefore, the the demons do exactly what they're going to do to a pig who can't think about it. They drive them to aggression to themselves to others in the the form of the demon-possessed men. But in these pigs, they just drive them to their own doom. Powerless they were against the attacks, and they run and they die in the water. But why did the pigs drown? Okay, here's the other question. Like, a farmer like me, okay, kidding, I'm not a farmer. but, But I played one a few years ago, many years ago now, when I was on this hog farm. And I learned that pigs are excellent swimmers. So you put a pig in the water, and it's going to be able to survive. It can swim to the other side, too. So why did all these pigs drown? Right? I know from experience that cats always land on their feet. <laughs> but I didn't know this about pigs, about them being swimmers. Why did they do this? And I think it's the same answer as to why the men acted the way they did. Right? It's not normal or expected behavior for these men to have been living naked in the cemetery, cutting themselves, breaking shackles, like all the stuff they were doing, like that's not normal human behavior. But the demons gave them this desire and the strength to do those things so that these men would destroy themselves and others. That's a simple demonic goal. And I think similarly, it's highly likely that these same demons prevented these pigs from doing what they could naturally do, which would be to swim and save their own lives because that would be contrary to what the demons wanted for them. In their lives, so they could not save themselves. But now you've got all these two thousand dead pigs. You've got all these six thousand demons released into the ether somehow. Where did they go? Right, they would not have been destroyed because again, Jesus said it's not time yet. It's not time yet for these for this thing to happen. So I would argue that they probably just went off into existence in some other people. Perhaps the reason why Matthew talks about both demon-possessed men, but only one sticks around in Mark and Luke to find out that they want to hang out with Jesus, which we're going to find out here in a moment, is because maybe they all got back into the other guy. Right? Because one thing we know from, uh, you can see here in Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45, it says, "...when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person..." It passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. So even though Jesus completely healed these men, It's up to the men to decide what to fill that previously demon-possessed space, that spiritual space within their lives. And if they don't choose to fill it with the Holy Spirit, then the demonic will gladly come to occupy this newly vacated, cleaned-up area, swept clean, in order, and they'll just come in there and hang out again. And similarly to this, guys, don't miss this, when we are healed of something in our lives, we can't just say, oh, I got healed, and then just go back to doing it again because it's only going to get worse. You guys have been there. I know I've been there. Where you, where you, where you think you've been healed or something, where God has done something great, but you haven't asked for that void to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, for me, I had uh, for many years in my earlier life this terrible addiction, but this addiction was I wanted to be someone who could fit in with others. You see, I grew up, I was a super dorky, kid growing up, like I know you can't imagine that now, right? But like back then, super dorky kid, hard to find a place to fit in. And, and so I had this deep longing in my heart that I, and I would do anything to fit in. And so when I finally got to college, I found that acceptance in alcohol. You see, it came to the point in my life where I was drunk more nights of the week than I was sober. Because there were parties every night. In the, I was at a Big Ten school. There were parties every night. There were bars that had nickel night, quarter night, and different groups of people would go out each night. No one would know what a drunk I was because it was a different group every night. And so I would do this, and there would be, and I would blame and whatever sinful behavior I did on that night on drunkenness, which to some extent was true. There was no filter. There was no limits when I was under the influence, and I hurt, I hurt a lot of people. But I recognize, on the flip side of that that I gained acceptance because I was the drunken life of the party. But you see, the Lord was calling out to me from the shore and I didn't even know it was Him calling. And He sent me messenger after messenger after messenger and one person who I will never ever be able to, reply, to, to repay was my high school friend and college, eventual college roommate named Andy. And Andy was a new... Believer, And, man, goodness, as a new believer, this guy was on fire for the Lord back then. And, and Andy knew that closing time of the bars was 1 a.m. And so he would stay up. And I would stumble home every night by 1.20, 30 a.m. I would get back home and this man was standing there and waiting for me, not with judgment, but with stories about how much Jesus loved me. To tell me that Jesus had something so much greater in store for me than hanging out by the toilet all night long throwing up. That God had all the acceptance that I would need. That God was going to cleanse my life and release me from that need of acceptance from man because Jesus was going to show me how completely I already was accepted. Sinful past and all. And you see, it wasn't until many years later that it all clicked into place, That what Andy was telling me. And I'll never forget how, as a new believer myself, I would pray that God would remove the sinful desires, alcohol and other things, from my life. One after the other, I would ask God to take those, and God would move, and those desires would be lifted. But it was temporary. And it wasn't temporary because God had failed. It was temporary because I did not yet understand, as a new believer, the importance of inviting the Holy Spirit to reside in those voids that were left behind. So I would find myself saying, God's healed me, let me go to the bar, and let me witness to the people at the bar. And I would get one drink, which would turn into ten more, and I was just back at the same place again. Why? Because that void had not been filled. Yet I hadn't asked God to fill me with His Spirit. And brothers, I tell you this story because I know that I'm not alone. I know that many of you have prayed for a release from a sinful behavior, a sinful thought in your life. And maybe you've gotten a day or two of success out of it. Maybe you've gotten even more months of success, but then you have a falling back. And the reason for that is simple. If we don't replace the soul void by asking for more of the Holy Spirit and being willing in that moment then to yield to whatever the Holy Spirit's going to do, sometimes it hurts. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit comes into that void and He's like, ooh, i got some cleaning up to do. And that stuff isn't fun. That stuff can be painful. But when you let him clean you up and then you say, Lord, now stay. And what do you have for me next? You've got to break that cycle. For me to break that cycle of alcohol, I needed to recognize its roots, that it was the devil telling me that I could never be accepted without playing the drunken role. But when Jesus showed me the vision of Him on the cross dying, telling me that I was worth dying for, that if no other person existed in that moment, that He would still have died on the cross. Then I knew that permanent healing could only come by inviting Him through the Holy Spirit into my life. And years and years of that pain involved with chiseling away the years of the devil's lies in my life. But brothers, it's freedom. There's freedom on the other end of that. Because now all my worth and all my significance is found in one alone, and that's in Jesus Christ. I want you guys to like me. I want you guys to be friends with me. Hear me. But if all of you guys walked out of here today and be like, I don't like that guy anymore. I don't like how he preaches. I don't like a thing about, you know what? I still got my worth and significance from the Lord. And that's what's so beautiful about saying to God, God, take this and now fill that void. And that's what he's offering for you, too. It's freedom. From whatever sinful behavior you've had, maybe you've had it on repeat over and over and over again, the same thing. And it's not been too long to ask for healing and then invite him into your life. Because, brothers, the joys of being free, they are too great to waste on the temporary good feelings that the devil is offering you. It's just too late. As I told you about my brother David, who's in the hospital even as we speak you know, in that, in that moment when I found out about him, I realized to myself, there's a lot of stuff that's still not right in my life. There's a lot of stuff that I'm still just doing. I'm like, ah, oh, I got some time. You know, I'm a young guy. I got some time. And God put it right on my heart. He's like, no. Now is the time for you to be released from that because you never know when your last day is going to come. You never know when that brain might get a hit from whatever it is that fell from his garage shed. You never know. And so what the Lord is showing me, and hopefully showing you guys as well, is today is the day that you take that freedom that He's offering you, and you don't want to live any other way. Amen, amen. Amen. Matthew 8:33, the herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Mark says it this way: the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And Luke says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. All three of the gospel writers here tell of these pig herdsmen running throughout the region to tell what had happened. And I have often used to think that this was like a joyous run, like, oh my gosh, hey, you'll never believe it. There were these demon-possessed men, and this healer named Jesus, he came, and he freed them. But after I've spent more time in the story this week than I've ever done before, I, I really don't think it was probably very joyous. I think these herdsmen probably went out there and they said, our entire livelihood was just lost. We don't, understand, we don't understand exactly what happened, but this Jesus somehow just made all of our pigs jump into the water and drown. And the people were probably like, bacon! No, and they weren't. Those people probably were an angry mob coming up that hill. To see Jesus and to see what had just happened. Because these were Gentiles. And think about it. These foreign Jews just showed up on their land and killed all of their pigs and destroyed their entire economy. Mark and Luke talk about how these townspeople show up and then they immediately stop in their tracks because what they see is this demon-possessed man, formerly demon-possessed man, now healed. And their anger shifts to fear. Fear. <laughs> Because the people start to explain what happened to this man. And this is the point where you would think that everyone would bow down and worship Jesus. But that's not what happens. Let's see what happens. Verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. Mark says they began to beg Jesus to depart them from their region. Luke says, "Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. This overwhelming response from this crowd is for Jesus to leave. Why? Why not just ask Jesus to stay? Or why not bring him like people, like all the people that are needing healing? Why, why didn't they do that? May, I don't know. I mean, maybe you've experienced something like this yourself, right? Have you ever shared your story with someone? Perhaps a non-believer and they weren't ready to hear it? Maybe you were that guy waiting up at 1.30 in the morning for your roommate way back when. I don't know. But there comes a point where anyone will say, like even my family, when I share with them about Jesus, there's nobody in my biological family that I know of that's been saved. And as I talk to them about Jesus, we get to a point, every discussion, where they'll say, okay, enough. I don't want to hear any more about Jesus. He's good for you, I'm glad. I don't want to hear any more about Him. Why? Because their hearts are not yet ready for Jesus. The soil was not yet prepared. And I think that experiencing the miraculous, for us as a believer, is like, yes, praise God, But it's something that will bring fear to a non-believer until they're ready to hear the truth. But tonight I want to end. I absolutely love the response of this formerly demon-possessed man. It's recorded only in Mark and Luke. So let's see in Mark 5, 18-20. It says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them, How much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Everyone marveled. In Luke it says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this man recognizes everything that Jesus has done for him. That he is no longer the man that he once was. That in an instant, God has changed his name from legion to healed. In an instant. And all this man wants to do now is physically stay by Jesus forever. I can understand that. He wants to stay next to this man who has just healed him. But Jesus has a mission field for him. Just for this man. He's going to go to his family and his friend. He's going to go to the Decapolis. The Decapolis is a a completely Gentile region. He's going to go there and he's going to reach people uniquely unlike any other person could reach them. People who maybe once knew him as the demon-possessed man will now have to reckon with the obvious change that has occurred in his life. That's what happens when when the Lord comes and He exercises demons from our lives. When He takes that sin from our lives, when we are walking Holy Spirit vessels... People want to know, where does this change from? You know, we're all here as Pops men because we want to learn more about Jesus. We want to explore this beautiful Word that He has breathed for us so that we can learn more about Him. And we're wrapping up a chapter in Matthew tonight. Oh my word, chapter 8 tonight that we're wrapping up. And for those of you who have been around from Matthew 5 till now where we started, you, you know that we've definitely learned a lot about Jesus right but the question is what are we going to each individually do with this knowledge what are we going to do with this knowledge when Jesus gives us a difficult teaching like he's given several so far when he tells us to leave our anger behind or our lustfulness or our desire for pornography what are we going to do with that what are we going to do with that teaching that he gives us when he tells us to love our enemies and do good to them when he tells us that those who maybe vote differently from ourselves, our enemies, are worthy of his love because they are worthy, they're worthy of our love because they are worthy of his love. Well, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to follow him, no matter what? Or are we going to say, "God, you gotta go, Jesus," like the townspeople do? You gotta go. Are we going to tell them that we get all that we need from our hours and hours of watching the TV news or reading articles on the social media? Are we going to say, you know, you can just leave. i got all the information that I need right now because as long as our candidate wins next week, you know, we're in good shape. Is that where we are as Pops men or are we saying to ourselves, brothers following, Jesus is hard and the teachings that we've received so far all lead up to this moment tonight where we're going to ask ourselves this question, Are we ready to follow Him? Because there's miracles and there's joy and there's peace that He gives us, no doubt. And I've experienced all of those in my life. But then there's this uh, this kind of pesky Holy Spirit who keeps showing us how He wants us to change. And He keeps doing these things that hurt within us to change us into who He wants us to be. When Jesus tells us something that we need to change in our lives, are we going to allow Him to clean us from the inside out, and then take that next step to ask Him to fill us to overflowing with His Holy Spirit? Or are we going to believe the devil's lies that we're never going to change that part of our lives? Or when healing comes in our lives, will we say, ah, that's my faith? My faith is personal. I, I, I don't need to share that with anyone. My, I, I'm not going to tell my family or my friends. That's mine. It's for, uh, I, I, I saved. I, I got the box checked. I'm saved. I'm good. I don't see I'm good anywhere in any of Jesus' teachings that we've gone through so far. I don't see him saying, You're good. I see him saying, Great, now go. Hupa go. Under my authority. Because, guys, you know how much, how much I love the word, right? Because, you know, we can't just study it, memorize it, and learn some fancy Greek words here and there. We, we want this word, we want Jesus to permeate everything that we are, even the parts that put us at odds with what we would consider typical American Christianity. Because if we want to follow Jesus, we can only serve Him. And even if our preferred candidate doesn't win next week, this doesn't change that our one true King remains on the throne. Amen? And His orders are to, for us to love God and love others, including love that person who sits on the earthly throne in the White House. Whoever it is, these are the things that we're called to do as followers of Christ if we want to be citizens of the kingdom of God we must serve the kingdom of God above all else no other citizenship to any country even this great country can supersede what the kingdom of God tells us and even if this country goes down a path that we disagree with we will still love God and love others in the midst of it no matter the cost are you guys ready for that adventure yeah If so, let's stand up and let's do our decree together, guys. You guys are Pops regulars. You know what to do. Repeat after me. Lord, thank You for this beautiful time to study Your Word and learn more about who You are. We thank You for Your power over sin. And we ask that You search us and show us the areas that need to be removed from our lives. And we decree that we will obediently allow You to cleanse us from the inside out. And we decree that we want Your Holy Spirit to fill that space to overflowing so that we can become examples of Your mercy and your saving grace and we decree that we will boldly share about what you have done in our lives and we decree that we will serve as ambassadors of the kingdom of God no matter the outcome of any earthly election we ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Use us as your vessels. vessels. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God.